Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 17. And I'll read this little story to you. We're going to focus tonight on uh, the focus. We're going to focus tonight on the focus of the underdog. So we're talking about underdogs. We're going to talk about the focus of the underdog. Are you looking at the giant or are you looking at the word? So 1 Samuel 17, you're, you're familiar with this. I mean, it's a bigger story than these few verses, but let's pick up at 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. So that Philistine is Goliath. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. And that's what people have always said uh, about me. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now notice that. This is fascinating to me. Goliath is taunting with his sword and spear and javelin. David taunts back, but not with a slingshot. He doesn't say, I come against you with my slingshot and my stone. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the year, not only you, but all your people. And the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Because, folks, you couldn't tell from the valley of Elah that there was a God in Israel until David came along. There was a God in Israel, but you couldn't see it in the Valley of Elah, until David showed up. That's what I'm going to focus on tonight. It's just awesome to me. And so then, verse 47, Then all uh, disassembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He wanted his own people to learn something in this. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, and David hurried and ran toward him. Uh, toward the army to meet the Philistine. So David's running, right? He's, he hurried. He didn't, he didn't play around. Then David put his hand in his back, took out a stone. He slung it, struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine, and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took the Philistine's sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. Pretty amazing. 
Let's just say a prayer. Father, I just pray that you'd speak to us tonight. Help us to find ourselves in the Word, to focus on the Word more so than the enemies that we face. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So I'm talking about the underdog. Now, this is the chase scene. You know, we've cut to the chase of this story by what we just read. This, this is an incredible demonstration of the power of God released on behalf of David and his covenant people. It's cool. God had made a covenant with Abraham. It was filled with powerful promises. It was not only to Abraham, it was to his descendants. And when it came to the word of that covenant, David was not a newbie. David was not a novice. David was skilled not only with a slingshot and a stone, but he was skilled in the word. He understood the scripture that had been revealed at that time. He knew it. He believed it. He walked it. He talked it. He leaned on it. He was confident in it. I'm reminded, I quote this psalm very often, but tonight I thought we would take a look at Psalm 25. The 25th Psalm, this is a Psalm of David. It's a plea for deliverance and forgiveness. But notice this Psalm of David. We're just going to walk through it with me. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Now, first of all, that Lord is all caps there. That's that revealed name of God, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, Jehovah as it's transliterated. So there's this understanding here by him using that. To you, O Lord, reveals straight up understanding. I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Now, we've looked at the David and Goliath story. Look at this psalm that he wrote. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Notice this. Notice the hunger and the desire. Remember, David is a man after God's own heart. And notice this. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. In other words, only through you does my salvation come. On you, I wait all day. In other words, I'll let everything else pass me by until you get here. Remember, O Lord. Again, all caps, the Tetragrammaton, Jehovah, Yahweh. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. He knows something about this God that he's calling upon. For they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Well, how many of you are like, amen to that, Lord? Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Isn't that a great thing? Good and upright is the Lord. And because of this, therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. It's like I've told you, that gives me hope. Like I used to think that if you didn't believe the Bible, then I, you were like a lost cause for me teaching you a Bible study. You're like, I don't believe the Bible's the Word of God. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to teach you a Bible study because you don't have any confidence in this book that I'm sharing. But then I soon realized the Bible's written for people who don't believe. 
so they can hear about it and they can start believing. You don't have to believe the Bible. Just listen to these stories. Faith is coming. And this is kind of what he's saying here. He's saying, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, because of his goodness, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice. I'm having fun with y'all here, but I, I have a point for reading this psalm. And the humble he teaches his way. That's powerful. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Not because I'm great, but for your name's sake, pardon my iniquity. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord, everybody say the secret of the Lord, is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. It's this idea, I wanted to show it to you. David is skilled in the scripture, in the word that had been revealed at that time. He knew the words of the covenant. He highly revered, respected, feared God, and God showed him, led him, into the ins and outs and the where-tos and wherefores of the words of the covenant. David was a young man, but young men can know something about the word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wherefore shall a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed, taking heed to the word of God. So David knew something about the word. And that's, that's the bottom line. How do you think David killed a lion before he ever met Goliath? How do you think David ever killed a bear? The scripture speaks of multiple lions, multiple bears. How did he ever do it? Because he knew who he was in the word. He knew something about what God said about him. Rather than his external circumstances dictating who he was, it was what the Word said that dictated who he was. Are you with me? So far, isn't this exciting? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who I love his writings, Tipping Point, Blink, Outliers, and others, uh, he's got a book called David and Goliath, and he, he portrays Goliath as, as this, uh, this guy that's suffering from a condition called acromegaly, acromegaly. I'm just going to go with that. It's a hormonal disorder. It causes the pituitary gland to mess up. It, it creates a condition called gigantism. Giantism. It's this idea of um, a physical explanation for what's going on here. And I'm not here to argue the point. It's just that there are physiological complications with people that have that condition. And they could in no way be a champion like Goliath. So I disagree with Malcolm Gladwell because there's something supernatural about this story. Goliath is a champion. The Philistines are risking enslavement to Israel if Goliath loses. So if they send out this guy who's got all kind of physiological complications from giantism and he's going to get like knocked out in the first round, then they're all going to be enslaved. I don't think they're going to choose that guy to be their champion. It's like that gangly kid that is, you know, obvious, like everybody's like, well, he ought to play basketball because he's like eight foot tall. But then he gets out there and he's terrible. It's like you've got all, 
you've got the height, you don't have the skills or the, the physicality for the game. Valerie's got a cousin, Gary. He's like super duper tall. He's been here. Some of y'all have met Gary before. He's like seven foot tall. Gary has never been able to play basketball, ever. He's terrible. Like you can take it. Valerie can take Gary in basketball. He's just not, he just can't do it. Well, if Goliath couldn't defeat Israel's best, then he's a terrible champion. So I disagree with Malcolm Gladwell on this. Goliath is a serious champion. He had been a skilled, proven, unstoppable force since his youth. He was a fighting machine. And so I believe God got in this situation. And the anointing of God was on David and directed David's thoughts and actions, his sling, and even the stone that took Goliath out. And I don't know about you, I want that kind of anointing on my life, right? I want that kind of anointing as well, especially in times of conflict and stress and intimidation and facing Goliaths in my life. Now, the point is, though, the reason the anointing was flowing through David was because David had a focus that set him apart. He was the underdog, but... really was not. It just looked like he was the underdog. The underdog was Goliath. Now I'm talking about in the, nat in the, in the supernatural. In the natural, David was the underdog. And y'all, here, here's my point. Most of the world is just, we're driven by the natural. And I, I feel like it's my constant assignment to remind us that we're not in this alone. The natural may have circumstances piled up that are totally against us. And it looks like we're the underdog. But in the supernatural realm, which is really the superior realm, we're not the underdog. Because we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. It's the trick of the enemy to get us focused in the natural rather than in the supernatural. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, the strongholds cannot resist the weapons with which we fight. Are you with me? But the only way to access those weapons and that stuff is to be focused on the words of the covenant. And here's the deal. David had an anointing that set him apart because he was more interested in what the Word said than what the giant looked like. And here's the deal. The same anointing was available to Saul. The same anointing was available to David's brothers who were bigger than he was. But they were not focused on the same things that he was focused on. They were all descendants of Abraham and covenant people, and all of them had rights in that covenant to one extent or another. Saul was commanded by the words of that covenant to write his own 
version, his own copy of the law with his hand and to study it every day and every night so that he would know what to do as the king. But apparently, he didn't do that. David was the one that was set apart because he focused on the word. Let me just tell you this. If you want to be different, if you want to step above ordinary Christianity, spend some time in the word. Get your identification from the word. Find out what the word says about you. Find out what the word says as far as who you are and what's available to you. That will set you apart from most of Christianity because you'll start viewing the world differently. You hear what I'm saying. You'll start viewing the world differently. And when overwhelming obstacles come against you, you will look at them and say, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I know and what I believe. And the word tells me that that is I can overcome that. Amen? Now, I, I, I want to look at that action scene again because it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, so let's, let's, go, let's build up to it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, actually, I, I didn't tell you, Julie, but I'm going to go back up to... Let's do a little bit of build up to it. So let's look at 20. First uh, Samuel 17, verse 20. It's my little underdog series. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. His dad told him, take this pizza to your brothers. You know, it was like cheese and bread, you know. And, um, and he came to the camp as the army was going. Man, pizza sounds good right now. I haven't eaten yet. <laughs> and he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in a battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked to them, there was a champion, a Philistine of Gath, Goliath. Coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw him, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. That, that's fear. Fear doesn't come from the word. Faith comes from the word. Obviously, these guys are not focused on the word. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him... Uh, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Whew, that right there is just wonderful. Tax exempt status. Whew. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away, notice this, the reproach from Israel. So, as a word man, David sees this situation as reproachful. This is embarrassing. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's not just some kind of derogatory statement. He's saying this man is not in a covenant with God like we are. Who is he 
that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So they told him the story. Notice this idea of removing the reproach or the shame or the scorn or the disgrace. Israel claimed to know God. Israel claimed to have power available to them because of their covenant with God. And yet in the face of Goliath, they fall to pieces and they're put to shame. And the only way for them to get rid of this reproach was that they had to face Goliath. But none of them had what it took. Now, technically, they did because they were in the covenant and God's promises were available to them. It's just that wasn't the focus. That wasn't their focus. But it was the focus of one underdog, David. David looked at the word. David understood this has to be taken away from Israel. And Israel had felt that reproach, you know, like the weight, the heaviness, the intimidation, the fear. It was part of their everyday lives. The giant comes out once a day, and they go running. It says they went and ran and hid, and they were awfully afraid, terribly afraid. It, it was this intimidating kind of way of life. Victory seemed impossible, out of reach, unattainable. Defeat was inevitable. It's the way they lived. They were lifeless, hopeless. The walking dead reproach had sucked the very life out of them. I mean, they were supposed to be living more powerfully than this, but they weren't. David understood that kind of, of uh, disdain, you might say, uh, where circumstances work against you. David was described by his father, Jesse, in 1 Samuel 16, 11. The Hebrew is, Jesse described his son as a katan, a katan. Everybody say a katan. That's the Hebrew. Now you know a Hebrew word, katan. It means young or small, more often than not, or unimportant, insignificant, worthless. David lived his life with his father looking at him as little or the least or someone who was unimportant, insignificant, he was overlooked. I mean, when the prophet came and said, I'm looking for uh, one of your boys to anoint to be the king, Jesse never even thought to bring David into the house. Think about that. He's got seven boys or eight boys. It depends on what, uh, who you study. But he's got these boys, and, and he brings all of them except David. Think about that. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for the heads up, you know. And Samuel goes through all the other sons. He's like, don't you have another one? He's like, well, I got the little Catan. Somebody go fetch old Catan out there, little insignificant one. Maybe that's a name. You ought to name one of your children, right? Catan, right? He, so Catan, Lord have mercy, I hope nobody's name is Catan in the room. But David comes, you know, comes in and uh, like, and he was the one that would be the king. So David understood what it meant to be overlooked, where people are trying to put reproach on you. And uh, now, who's the Catan in the Valley of Elah? Is it David? 
Is it the brothers? Is it Saul? Is it the armies of Israel? I would say they were the ones who now felt puny, little, the least, unimportant, insignificant, because their identity came from the external, the outward. But David's identity did not come from the outside. Remember when the Lord said, you look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart? David was a man after God's own heart. He had some things on the inside. Listen, faith is about what's on the inside. You hear what I'm saying? You can come to church, look the part, claim all kind of stuff, but when when you're in the valley of Elah, What's on the inside is what's going to come out. When you're facing your Goliath, what's on the inside is is what's going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart. I'll never forget one time I was in a prayer meeting. I've shared this with some of you. I was in a prayer meeting and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, go talk to that person and tell them such and so. And and I I was like, ah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that was me or God. I don't know. And so I just him hauled around until it was over. And the Lord, I said, ah, it's just me. And the Lord again spoke to my heart. And he said, he said uh, you, you've got, you're running on half a tank. If you were filled up on my word, son, you'd have done what I told you to do as soon as I told you to do it. You don't, you don't believe inside. You're not built up on the inside. You, you're, you're not believing that I can talk to you, that you are my son. That I can whisper, show you some secret things because you fear my name. And I can show you some stuff and you can go help somebody. I didn't believe that because on the inside, now I was, listen, I was in a Pentecostal apostolic prayer meeting in a prayer room with a whole bunch of other people praying. God spoke to me and I said no. These were God's covenant people in the valley of Eli who any one of them could have taken down Goliath. But they didn't have it on the inside. They didn't have it on the inside. So in the Valley of Elah, they were the Katan. They were the weakly, puny, insignificant in the eyes of Goliath, in the eyes of themselves. We can't do this. They were driven by the external. But not David. Who are you, David? I'll tell you who I am. I am fearfully. And wonderfully made. You knew me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's who I am. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Like David understood that God would bless those that bless him and curse those that curse him. That the enemies would come in one way before him, but they would flee seven ways if he would just move after God's plans and purposes. And here's this uncircumcised Philistine standing against the plans and purposes of God. And David understood that. That's why he said, who cares what I'm coming with you against? I could come to you and thump you on the head, right? But I'm coming in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Like whatever weapon I'm using is irrelevant. I'm coming in the name of the Lord. Isn't that cool? And I I just want to ask you, Christian. Like here you are in church on a Wednesday night. Y'all are the special people. You know that. 
the Wednesday night attenders, you're the special. You're my favorites. We love you. You are awesome. You have, we have notebooks with your names and gold stars beside them. You're our favorites. But here you are on a Wednesday night. You look good. You're doing the right stuff. But what about in the Valley of Elah? Where does your identity come from? From the fact that you're here on a Wednesday night or that you're dressed right, you spit white, you don't dip or chew or run with girls that do. Or I don't even, I don't even, that's a relevant saying anymore. I, I grew up saying that, so there you go. But, but what about when you're in the valley of Eli, when the enemy mocks you, when, when defeat and failure is sucking the life out of you, when the enemy bullies you? What you need to understand is it's time for the reproach to be removed. Somebody under the sound of my voice tonight, you need to hear this. You need to begin to ask God, where's your presence? Where's your power? Where's your miracles? Where's my victory? Where's my healing? Where's my deliverance? Because all of that belongs to you. And if you'll figure out who you are, then in your valley of Elah, out there on the field of battle, then you will fight some battles and prevail over giants that have intimidated you for long enough. Everybody say, I'm tired of this giant. I'm just tired of this giant. David, David was full of the word. He knew who he was in the word. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. He was a he was a worshiper. He was a praiser. You know, Psalm 8, Matthew 21. Our praise and worship is a spiritual weapon that shuts down the enemy. When in the valley of Elah, you've given God praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Running after your giant. That's a way of praising God. The giant, the giant, the enemy doesn't know what to do with that. That's a weapon. David was a praiser and a worshiper. I wish we could shoot demons and the devil with guns. Because I, I know there's some people in this room that own guns. I got a few myself. I wish we could just shoot the devil, you know, shoot demons, like really go to war with them. Boom, 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 took him out, got him. Because some of y'all are ace, y'all are crack shooters. You ought to see Valerie at the shooting range, y'all. You have no idea. I, that reminds me of a story. I remember uh, over in DeRitter, Louisiana, there was a guy. There was a guy preaching in DeRitter one time. He, he had this bright idea that he was, he was going to get mad, he's going to play a trick on his congregation. Th this really happened, y'all. I talked to the guy. This, this really happened. The pastor did this. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't know why I'm telling this story, but I've already started it. So the, the pastor says, uh, you know, like, Dan, uh, it was like they were talking about, I don't know, remodeling the building or finances or something like that. And 
they had already planned it out. Dan was going to, like, object. Like, I don't think we ought to do that. And the pastor was like, well, I think we shouldn't. And Dan was like, well, I don't think we, I think it's a bad idea. I, as a matter of fact, if we do this, I'm leaving this church. So the pastor pulls out, like, a 45 Magnum that had a cap in it, not a real bullet, and just said, well, I'm just tired of you anyway. Boom, and, like, pulled the trigger in the middle of the church. Whole church freaks out. And then they laugh, he laughs, and the guy laughs, and like half the church like walked, like got really, really mad, right? And I'm thinking, I heard that story. I'm like, can you imagine in today's environment? Are you kidding me? Mark Foster and uh, Ronnie Gidrose told me another story, a youth camp story, that they were, I think this was in, in Texas, they went to a youth camp. I don't know why I'm telling these gun stories, but Mark and Ronnie, so they're, these are pastors, friends of mine. Ronnie works a lot with the ranch, boys ranch, lighthouse ranch for boys that we support, and Mark pastored in Monroe, and now he's uh, traveling and whatnot. I think he's semi-retired. So anyhow, Mark and Ronnie were kids, though, and their dads were preachers of PKs, of course, and so Mary and they're at a youth camp in Texas. And they decide they're going to get in an argument. One's going to pull out a gun, same thing, and shoot the other one at, at youth camp. Hello, like Tioga Youth Camp. And so there's like thousands. So they get in a, a fake fight, first of all. And all the kids gather around like, fight, it's a fight, it's a fight. And so Mark and Ronnie are like fighting. And then one of them pulls out a gun says, I'm done with it, and shoots him. And, and Ronnie, it was Ronnie that fell out like he was dead. And Mark like just leaves. And then and the whole, all the kids are you know, just devastated. This is in the six seventies. They're devastated. They start praying for Ronnie. Literally, like everybody goes, they're interceding and whatnot, and then they, it's all a joke, you know. Of course, they got in major trouble, Brian. And Ronnie and Mark have told me that story. I'm like, you guys, like, I thought I was bad at youth camp. Now, don't y'all get any ideas? Because in this day and age, you're going to jail. Anyhow, I wish we could shoot the devil. I mean, shoot, throw a spear at him, demonic activity, but you can't. You can't. It's from the inside out is what I'm saying. you got to know who you are in the Word. And that's part of maturing and growing up is when you begin to learn who you are in the Word. Listen, David was probably 17 years old around that age when this event happened. But he had filled up on enough word by the time he was 17 that he could take out a big old 9 or 10 or 12 or 13 foot tall giant. Depends on what a cubit is. He could take him out with his faith at 17 with a lesser covenant, the old covenant. We're in a greater covenant. We're baptized in the Holy Ghost. We're not only calling on the name of the Lord in Prayer, we've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of the reproach of our sins. And so when we come against the giants, how much more should we be able to defeat them in the spirit than David could back in those days? Amen? Come on, give God some praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. I've learned that you've sometimes just got to be still and know that he's God. When you're facing your Goliath, get a hold 
of your emotions and quit giving voice to your fear and begin to get back in the word and say, okay, okay, right? Pull this in, rein this in. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I'm a new creation. In him, old things are passed away. I will not respond the way I used to respond. I respond in a new way. All things have been made new. I'm a new creation. I'm different. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is dwelling within me. Out of my bellies flow rivers of living water. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. There's a holy flow that flows through me. And we begin to resist and fight and praise and worship and respond in the valley of Elah differently than we used to. Because we've grown up. We've found some things about who we are in, in the Word. Gary Soto said this, The shallow version of you will never change the world. And the shallow version of you will never defeat your Goliath in the valley of Elah. It's going to take, take a deeper walk. A deeper walk. Here's what's cool. Goliath had faced tons of religious folk ethnic descendants of Abraham who claimed to be part of the covenant, and they were. And yet they cowered in defeat and failure. But Goliath had never faced anyone who honored the name of the Lord, walked faithfully in the covenant like David did until he met David. David was the first one Goliath met who truly honored the name of the Lord and knew who he was. And I might add that David was also the last guy that Goliath ever met like that because David took him out. The devil is not afraid of religious folks, Christians, church folk, who really claim all that and all of that's accessible, but who cower in defeat and failure and are filled with fear rather than faith. But the devil's terrified of someone who knows who they are in the Word. This Goliath battle was really all about the plans and purposes of God moving forward, as everything is in the Bible. It, it was not personal, it was business. It was the fact that Goliath was a threat, an impediment to the seed of the woman getting born into the earth. It was all about preserving that. David was focused on the plans and purposes of God and event, the eventuality those plans and purposes would bring about Mary and sweet baby Jesus, Christmas. But right here in the Valley of Elah, it was threatened. But because David was focused on the covenant and the word, he saw this as a cause worth fighting. Is there not a cause? doesn't matter what you do. There's a big cause here. God's name and honor is at stake. Come on, let's do this. I love that about David. David was focused. And I'll close with this because I feel like that, and I, I emphasize this in Bible study. As a matter of fact, last Thursday night, 
or the Thursday night before that. I can't remember when it was before that. We were deep into this, and it's just, it's profound. But when I say you got to know who you are in the Word, what do I mean by that? Like, what, what does that mean? I mean, I've quoted a few scriptures, but uh, maybe I need to paint that picture a little more vividly. So let me tease you a little bit, and we'll finish this up next week. So who am I in the Word? You have to start looking at what Scripture says about you, like that idea of a new creation, old things are passed away, all things have become new, the river of life that flows out of your belly, rivers of living water, that idea that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that idea that I am more than a conqueror through Him who loves me. That idea that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Those kinds of new covenant realities that are greater realities than my feelings, than my thoughts. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Those are realities that are greater than what everybody else is saying about me. You're just a Catan. No, I'm not. I'm a child of the living God. I've been born again of water and spirit. He's, he's given me authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Those are New Testament realities that you have to build up on the inside so when you get to the Valley of Elah, you're prepared. That's a lot of our problem is we're not prepared when we get in the Valley of Elah. And how many of you know, you don't always know when the Valley of Elah is coming your way, right? You don't always know when that big ugly giant is going to show up in your world. Teresa why this is on my, Teresa Stamper posted something that was so funny on Facebook. She's like, how come when I'm having a bad day, that's, that's when my clothes get hung on the door handles I'm walking through, you know. You know, and I'm like, I relate to that, right? Like you're having that, like, oh, it's a bad day, and you go walking out, and you rip your, your coat or something, gets hung on the door handle. That's a giant, right? I mean, you don't know when those giants are going to show up. That's why you have to be prepared. And so I guess we'll deal with that next time about being prepared for your Valley of Eli. How many of you want to be prepared next time a giant shows up in your life to where your default is not like running like David's brothers did in terror, but it's running towards the giant saying, I'm ready for you. I, I'm ready. Like, let me at him. Let me at him. That kind of attitude can be yours. If the price is right, it really can. But there is a price to pay. It's filling up on the word. So when God speaks and the giant shows up, like you're ready to move. You're agile. You're ready to move. Does that make sense? Stand with me right now. Let me just tell you something. 
what was at stake, I mentioned it, was the plans and purposes of God. But it was more than that, y'all. It was more than just Mary and Jesus being born. David's family was at stake. David's future was at stake. David's nation was at stake. And I would say that when it comes to the giants in our life, it's not just about God's plans and purposes way out there. It hits home. My marriage, my family, my kids, my babies, my grandbabies, my finances, like my stuff is at stake. There's a lot at stake. And a lot of reason to fill up on God's word. Would you just close your eyes with me right now? Father, I thank you so much for the tremendous story of David in the life. God, tonight, I pray that we would see it as an underdog who had a focus on the words of the covenant that made the difference. That focus made the difference, Lord. And I thank you for it. I thank you for it, Lord God, and I pray that you would help us to find our place and our focus when it comes to your word, when it comes to who we are in you, Lord Jesus, and I give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.